Yo, 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 welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kit Podcast. Welcome back. So, we got a lot to get into. Um, I know you guys haven't heard my voice in a week or so now. It's a, I think it's a week. Yeah, uh, I think it was last Wednesday where I, uh, I last dropped my episode and I covered some draft stuff, but I'm back. Um, and I always tell you guys, if for, I think this is for more so my new listeners. Um, I'm a college student, so uh, around this time, the semester ends and so forth, so I got final stuff that, you know, I got to prioritize, obviously. And while I do my finals, obviously, I still keep up and watch the, <laughs> I still watch the games, uh, and I still make content for you guys, but maybe, uh, maybe just an episode a week. But I'm back, um, obviously, with the semester being over or coming to an end, um, coming to a conclusion. You guys will probably be able to get three episodes out of me um, on a weekly basis now. So that'll be that this that should be interesting and fun. And speaking of interesting and fun and unpredictability, the NBA playoffs. The NBA playoffs have not failed. Um, obviously, we're in the midst of the second round. We got uh, we all of these series are on the brink of elimination. Um, each and every each team, um, at least one team in each series. Each series has three wins. So uh, we'll obviously discuss, uh, you know, what to look forward to. Obviously, I want to talk about the Lakers and Warriors game four and what game five may look like um, coming up. Right. So a lot to get into. Also, the NFL, they release their schedule. The schedule release, it's a it may seem small, but it's it's a really big thing that a lot of like NFL fans look forward to. Um, seeing what games, when they're going to play. And so so that whole sh- big old shebang, I will probably talk about that. I'll probably do that in a separate episode. I don't know, depending on how long this episode goes. But first and foremost, I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kitt of the Isaiah Kitt Podcast. Um, shouts out to everyone listening, all the first-time listeners. Shouts out to you. If you are a first-time listener, welcome all aboard. Hope you guys stay. And continue to come back. If you are a regular listener, um, encourage the first-time listeners to stay. No, I'm playing. But shouts out to all the regular listeners. Greatly appreciate, greatly appreciate all the support that I'm receiving and getting. Um, so love it absolutely. So let's just start with uh the Lakers Warriors game for as I've already kind of stated, and it was a great game. It was a great game, and I, and and like I said, the NBA playoffs has just really been unpredictable, right? Like, if I would have told you the day of the playoffs starting, if I would have told you, okay, so, yeah, you know, the Bucks, the number one seed Bucks, best best record in the league, yeah, they're going to actually lose to the Miami Heat in five games. Giannis, granted, will get hurt, but he had come back, and the Bucks, they just absolutely choke away the series, the last two games of the series in the fourth quarter, and they they just lose in five games. Um, If I also told you, yeah, uh, the Clippers obviously they don't have Paul George, but at by the end by the end of the series they won't have Kawhi Leonard, and there'd be a whole controversy about Kawhi Leonard retiring, right? Uh, then I was if I was to tell you, yeah, so the Sacramento Kings they're gonna push the Warriors to seven games, and it's gonna take like Steph Curry to be like, like I mean he's got to go crazy in Game Seven in order for the Warriors to move on in advance. Uh yeah, like you you know what if I would have told you yeah, um the Celtics 
they look like they should be the favorites, right? But um, I don't know. Like they kind of they lost a couple head scratching games to Atlanta. Then in the following round, they find themselves down three games to two versus Philadelphia to a team that they've they've had Philadelphia's number for so long. Now Philadelphia has a way. Oh, yeah, in that same series, James Harden has two 40-point games. The Sixers have won both of those games. Um, yeah, like the NBA playoffs has been so un- unpredictable, like so unpredictable. And the unpredictability, the unpredictability continued with game four of the Lakers and Warriors where Lonnie Walker had a huge game, or I should say, well, a huge quarter, right? (laughs) A huge quarter. He had a huge quarter where he scored 15 points. 15 points in the fourth quarter, and uh, it was, it, that was definitely, uh, that definitely helped the Warriors propel the Warriors, I mean, propel the Lakers to a 3-1 lead. And it was a great moment. Great, great guy, talented guy. Always have had, always have been like a really talented kid, right? Just the opportunity has um have kind of opportunities. They're kind of they've been inconsistent, right? But and, and it's funny because even LeBron has kind of talked about this later in the post game, where he talked about young players kind of losing confidence and so forth. And we're also hearing some rumblings from from Golden State side of things where. Some of the younger guys in that locker room, they're they're not they're not so pleased with the with the playing time that they've been receiving. But you look at a guy like Lonnie Walker, you ask yourself, now Lonnie Walker um <laughs> had a great fourth quarter where he just did everything. Like he was playing good defensively. Uh he broke Steph down a few times to get a bucket uh, or to get buckets. And you just ask yourself, well, how did he get here? Well, Lonnie Walker. People forget this, or I don't think I think people don't remember, but Lonnie Walker was the Lakers starting shooting guard to start the season. Like he was a starter on this Lakers squad. Now, obviously, as the season has progressed and gone on, his role has diminished and his minutes also, right? Minutes kind of decrease. So in game, then playing game one of this series. Game two, he played in the fourth quarter because it was an absolute wash, right? The Warriors blew out the Lakers. I guess he kind of sparked something in Darvin's Ham's ear or head, I should say, an ear, head, right? And game three, obviously, they, the Lakers won. Game four, he got in. And I think part of it was Lonnie Walker probably showed Darvin Ham something in that fourth quarter of game two. I also think, like, Everybody's banging on Jordan Poole and how bad Jordan Poole has been, right? Cool. But Dennis Struder probably has been equally as bad. Just doesn't get talked about because he's not making $130 million, right? But and he's not supposed to be like the, I don't know, the second or third option on the offense side of things. So it doesn't look as bad. But Dennis Struder has been equally as bad. Um, like he's been equally as bad, right? Everybody's fourth quarter, everybody's playing hard, everybody's hustling, every possession matters, everybody playing defense. You know what Dennis Schroeder does? Yep. Find a back pass, turnover to nobody. <laughs> like, <laughs> like just just bad decision making, bad timing, bad like he's he's been like equally as bad and just not watchable at all, right? So 
he gets like Lonnie Walker gets opportunity to shine. He fully and like he fully relishes the moment, right? Um, and and I know there's some Warrior fans that's gonna probably be like, well, the officiating was has been awful, and I I, I would agree, and especially in Game Four, I thought the Lakers got away with a few flops. But even despite the officiating not being the best, right? If you're if you're a Warriors fan, if you want to die on that hill, cool. The Warriors still had a chance to win this game. <laughs> like they, the, the Warriors still had a chance to win this basketball game, and they just couldn't. And I think like this series, as easily as like we can say, oh, the, the Lakers up, they're up three one, and we we look at the series and like, man, the Lakers they they've won games. Um, they won up. They they stole one. They stole one on the road. They they came back home, took care of business. Is he like this? This series is three one Lakers, but this series could easily be three one Warriors if a couple things just go the Warriors' way, right? If a couple shots fall, obviously the Jordan Poole shot, right? Um, and then I think Game Four, I, I thought that was really really a winnable game. So if you're a Warriors fan, if you want to down the hill of the officiating is bad and the league is out to get us, okay, cool. Um, even though you're the league's biggest attraction, right? But the league is out to get them. I I still thought the Warriors had a a, a multitude of opportunities and chances to win the game. But here's what I tell you. With the Lakers being up 3-1, the Warriors are not done. The Warriors are not done. And and also, the whole thing, the whole, like, Steph Curry is in clutch thing. Here's the thing. I, and I, there's a statistic out there that's flying around where, like, um, with a chance to win or tie the game with under 45 seconds left in the postseason, Steph Curry's 0 for 12, right? He's 0 for 12 in those moments. And I will say this, and it's not me making an excuse, but this is this this is providing further analysis and reasoning. And Steph Curry, this probably this is probably this stat is probably a, a detriment to his greatness because it's like it's like it's 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 a I'm, the way I'm explaining it, you're gonna you're gonna understand, but it's a detriment to his greatness because Steph Curry has evolved the the NBA in the game of basketball just in general in the way in, in in many facets in terms of shot selection and shot making, but in terms of shot selection. There was a point in time where certain shots that we may see a Steph Curry take or a Damian Leonard take or a Klay Thompson take. Those shots used to be looked upon as bad shots because, you know, you you only had a low percentage chance of making those shots, right? So Steph Curry has completely just changed our perspectives and our viewpoint on how we look at what's a good shot, what's a bad shot. Like, we have totally changed that. Like, i.e., just with his teammate, Jordan Poole. A lot of people banged on Jordan Poole because, you know, that that game 1-3 was a little too deep for a lot of people's liking, but there was, there was also a percentage of people that's like, well, he hit six threes. He's a pretty good shooter. I don't think that's a bad shot. There was a percentage out there I tend to lean with. I don't think that was a bad shot. I think 
Could he have stepped in a little bit more? Maybe. But was that a bad shot? Am I killing him for taking that shot? No. He had made six threes that game. Jordan Poole practiced that shot. Jordan Poole is a really good shooter at that. So, no, I don't think that was a bad shot, right? I, I, I think that's a I'm, – I'm okay with that shot. But my, that my whole thing is we, we have changed the way – Steph Curry has changed our perceptions and thought process on what is a good shot and what is a bad shot and bad shot selection just in general. So when you take that into account, Late in late game situations, right? And obviously, Steph Curry is—he's hit some clutch shots, right? He's hit sh- like that—that that stat is really key. It's with, with a chance to win or tie the game. He's over to, uh, when 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 with a chance to win or tie the game under forty-five seconds. Under forty-five seconds, I'm sure there is a—I can pull up a compilation of Steph Curry hitting shots, hitting clutch shots from forty-five seconds to a minute, right? But that's neither here or there. Down the stretch of these games, as you get tired and fatigue sets in and you're going up against pretty good defense, yes, those shots, Steph Curry, those shots that he take that we deem good shots for Steph Curry, yes, he is gonna those shots are harder to make when you're fatigued and there's better defense being played. There's more tension being played. Like, like those shots do become harder. So I think in the stat right there kind of explains it. He's over 12 in those situations. You know why? Because usually he's probably tired. He's fatigued. He's usually he usually has probably the best defender on him in those situations. So like it is, it, it's a it's a it's a stat that I think could be misleading because it's it like if we're going to ask the question, is Steph Curry clutch? Yes, I think he is clutch. But that stat right there, I don't think that stat is a an example or I don't think it exemplifies uh, Steph Curry not being clutch. I think it is a detriment to how great of a shot maker he is because now the bad shots that used to be considered or the shots that we used to think of as bad shots are no longer bad shots or we don't view them as bad shots because Steph Curry and others make them at such an elite level. But when the game is hanging in the balance and when he takes those same shots, he is often fatigued. He often has the best defender on him. He often, um, you know, like th- there's just, and it's, it, it just becomes harder to make those shots. At like anybody that's played basketball, and if and you're in a game, and as the game goes on and on, your legs get a little bit heavier, your arms get a little bit tighter. Shots, those those shots from about 22 feet to about 30 feet become a lot difficult to make. So I don't think that stat is an indictment on on how clutch Steph Curry is. I think it is just it's 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 more so uh, it's like a, a detriment to how great he is as a shot maker and and as as a shooter. I don't think that is I don't think that's a knock on how clutch Steph is. I think he's I think he's clutch. But here's my reason as to why the Warriors aren't done. First, they have they could possibly have two of the next three games at home. 
they just got to steal one road game. The Warriors, obviously, their their road struggles have been well documented throughout the year. But obviously, we know the Warriors are really, 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 really tough to beat at home. So that's what you have going for you. Game five, I almost expect the Warriors to win. I think they're I think they're like eight point favorites. So the boys in Vegas, they know that the Warriors, these are the defending champions. These are not the Memphis Grizzlies. They won't go down that easily. Right. So with that, the Lakers are gassed. Like the Lakers are tired. The Lakers are op they're absolutely tired. Um they're <laughs> like they're tired, like, and and more so LeBron, more so LeBron, and and it's nothing against LeBron because at this age, at you know, so much mileage on those on those legs, um, year twenty, I'm not bashing him for. I, hey, I totally would understand it at 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 LeBron's advanced age and so much mileage. Like, granted, he's not forty; he's pushing it, but. The amount of minutes that he's played with regular season minutes, playoff minutes, and then the like just on like it's just so much mileage. But you can see visibly LeBron um is just and it like I said, it's I'm not surprised. I think some people are surprised because we look at LeBron as superhuman, but he is human. And you look at LeBron, I mean, he he is first, he is not in his like he's far away from his prime not a bad player right still really good but when when he had when he's energized but he he's injured he's older he's not driving to the basket as much and as frequently he's doing it in spurts um he he takes quarters off <laughs> like not just defensively but off it like he and on, like on offense he goes, he hides at times on offense because he's so gassed. And it's not, it's not, it's nothing against him, but damn, like, it's not, he's not even taking, uh, like, defensive, like, no, it's defense and offense. Like, you know, some guys just take defense all because they don't want to play defense, but they, they, they're ready for offense. They're, they're ready to jack up shots. No, Braun is in the corner, in the corner. Letting Austin Reeves run high pick and rolls with Anthony Davis, like that—that's what it's come to. So that's that's what's one of the reasons why the the Warriors are not done. Another reason is the Warriors, as I've kind of already mentioned, with the exception of Game Three, they have been in these games, and these games have been winnable. Um, so I, the Warriors—they're going to continue to do what they do. Um, obviously with adjustments, obviously, right? But they're going to continue to do what they do um, in terms of, like, I, I think in terms of game four, Steph had a really, a really good performance. Uh, granted, he got a little, you know, he got a little exposed on defense by Lonnie Walker, He try, but Steph tries defensively. But, um, I like, Clay Thompson just did not have it going. Obviously, Jordan Poole, uh, his struggles have been documented. Where you know a lot of people are banging on him. Draymond Green, uh, he doesn't at times. He just doesn't even look at the basket. Andrew Wiggins, good player, but more of a blend in type of guy, right? Uh, Gary Payton Jr. 
GP2 was uh, Steph Curry's most reliable teammate in game four um, offensively. So, like, that kind of, that kind of, like, sheds the light. Like, Dante DiVincenzo, really good, like, serviceable role player, but has limitations. So, you look at, you start to look at this Warriors depth and looking at the supporting cast around Steph, you got to beg differ, like, what, what, like, what's really going on? And even with some of these question marks, as I've said, that game was still winnable. Like Clay played really bad. Draymond had some bad turnovers at the end. Um, you know, like as bad as it looked or as it may seem for the Warriors right now, they have been still within striking distance in in prime position to win these games. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm gonna give you guys my overall um and we can just continue to talk about the playoffs and, and, and like just in entirety in general. And as we look at Game Five of the Warriors Lakers matchup, I, like like I said, I don't think the Warriors are quite done yet. And usually in these type of situations, in three one situations, especially when you're the te- when you're the team with home court advantage, you you obviously you take one game at a time. But I look at 3-1 deficits like this. If you're the team with the home court advantage, game five, you're going to be excited and amped up to play. You're not going to, like, especially the Warriors being defending champs, you want to you go out with a swing. And it's going to be, you're going to make it really, really difficult for the opposing team to come into your building and beat you. You're gonna make it really difficult, right? And because more than likely, if they're up three one, they probably beat you at least once already at home, right? A- at your place. So you don't want to give them multiple wins and close you out at your at your at home. No. And I think the Warriors they're gonna probably win Game Five, right? Um, I think they're gonna win Game Five. Game Six. It is a road game, and you look at that, um, you got to still one on the road. You got to still one on the road. You still one on the road. You go back home, game seven, everybody's playing for keeps. Game seven is, at, is, at, is, is in your building. You're at home. You're comfortable. The pressure, game six, the pressure is on the team with the 3-2 lead. Game seven, I mean, come on now. It's game seven. It's game seven. Everybody going to get up for game seven. And like I said, it's on your home floor. So when looking at a team that has a home court advantage and they may be facing a 3-1 deficit, I think that is how you approach it. You approach it with, hey, we got two home games. All we got to do is win one road game. So all we got to do, if we can squeak out run one road win, because but it went with, with you winning game five, it puts pressure, it puts, it adds more and more pressure to the opposing team to close you out because if they don't close you out in game six, you open a whole new can of worms in game seven. So, I think game five, it's probably going to look a little similar to game two where I could see the Warriors winning by double digits. I could see that. 
I could see that being a possibility. Some people even have hinted at the fact that maybe the Lakers should have rest LeBron James for game five because they, because they have a 3-1 lead, obviously. I wouldn't go that far, but with the way how LeBron has looked so gassed and um, just he like he, you can just see that he just takes breaks and he hides while he's on the floor. It is not too far from the truth, and it's it's not as far fetched and as crazy as of idea as people make it out to be. I think that was Mike Greenberg that uh that presented um that presented that LeBron, you know, he he prompted that LeBron should probably rest for game five. People think it, it, it's a bit extreme, but it's not too far off. Not too far off from the truth. Not too far off from reality. <laughs> because LeBron, like I said, that one day break does not, that one day of rest, that that one day get, nah, that, that doesn't do it. That doesn't do it. We're talking about a 38-year-old with who has played more minutes essentially than anybody else in this league, in this league's history. It's a little different than that. Um, and and also, you know, throughout the playoffs, this now I, I think the Warriors are gonna win game five, and then we'll see what happens with game six. But even just looking at these playoffs. I've kind of looked at it like, I, especially I look at the Phoenix Denver series. I look at the um ball, the Celtics and 76ers series. There is this, there is the theory of 2 1 1, 2 1 1, right? In the playoffs, 2 1 1. That's the theory. And that theory, 2 1 1, is it's essentially. The easiest way to break down of how to of how you're as uh, a team of how you're going to win a playoff series is you need your best player to win you two games. You need your second best player to win you a game, and then you need your role players to win you another game. And I look at the 76ers who are now up three two on the Celtics, and as I said. This playoffs has been so unpredictable. If I would have told you that, yeah, going into the second round, predictably, we have the Celtics in 76ers, right? That the 76ers will be up three games to two on the Boston Celtics, and James Harden had two 40-point games, and both of those games were 76er wins, you would probably look at me like, what you doing? What drug are you doing? Like, like really, like really that, that, that would, a lot of people probably didn't see that one coming. And I think people, if you did pick Philadelphia, probably picked them in seven games, right? Probably. But now that Philly's up three, two, you look at the theory, right? The two, one, one theory. In a sense, that game five was so crucial for Joel Embiid um, because he had, he had yet in this series to, like, really put his, his stamp on it. Game four, he played well. He had 32. I think he had, like, 33, 32, something like, something like that, right? Played really well. But game five, he really put 
his fingerprints and he stamped himself in this series. And that is what I call 2-1-1, where Harden, he's not, obviously Harden is not the 76ers' best player, but Harden, Harden essentially, with his two 40-point performance, he essentially put the 70s, and he hit both of the game-winning shots. He put the 76ers on his back, and he won the 76ers two games in the series. It was crucial for Embiid to come out, set the tone, set the tone defensively and offensively, and put his imprint on this series. I think it's also important to note, and, and I give I give Doc Rivers a lot of a lot of hell, a lot of crap, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, you look at his playoff black, the you know disasters and blunders. He deserves it. But I'm a guy of fairness. I'm a guy of equity and equality, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I must say, I have been impressed with Doc Rivers in how he have, um, he's kind of, this, like, 70, the 76ers offensively have done a good job, or Doc Rivers has done a good job with, changing the way how Joel Embiid gets his offense. It's a lot more mid, low post, isolation, pick and pop type of actions. And shout out to no layups because he had hinted at this. And it was very, very much apparent in game five where Embiid Embiid essentially took over. The 76ers were clicking. He has, he, 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 you know, Embiid has been working in the mid to low post. Boston really doesn't have an answer for him. Like, they, they, they just can't find an answer. At any time they go to these, these actions, Philly, they can score in these actions anytime they want. And with Boston offensively, as as good as as good as an offensive team that they have been so far this year, um, as good as like they got guys that can shoot, they got guys that can dribble, they got guys that can create their shot, right? As good as it is, like offensively they that they are, they don't have a set or a or just a go to action that just get Jason Tatum an easy bucket when he wants to, right? They don't have that. Like, they, they don't have – like, I'm noticing that. Like, it, and it kind of shows itself down the stretch, the stretch of these games. Like, as the game winds, they – like, they have no go-to play action um, that they know that can get them two points. Or not even just down the stretch when they get – when, you know, as the fourth quarter is winding down, but – at the end of quarters, those end of quarter runs are so crucial. Like those, 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 we, I mean, we see it all the time in basketball where late going into halftime, that, that late second quarter run stretch. If you can get some good production from your, from guys in that late second quarter stretch, where you go, you finish the, you finish the half out on an eight or run or 10 or run. You like it I just it just makes all the difference in the world, and Boston just can't get that. I think also another thing is, and this doesn't just apply for the Celtics series. Just using it as an example, I think is a prime example. 
but I think it could be applied to different series. But Jalen Brown, right? I you could make an argument that Jalen Brown in this series, and really throughout the past couple of Celtic series dating back to like the NBA finals, Jalen Brown has been the Celtics' most consistent player. He's been their most consistent player and their best player. But he's not the go-to guy. And and, and I think that's where I think because a lot of people were questioning, well, in that in that game four loss, why didn't Jalen Brown take any shots in overtime? And granted, I don't think this explains it all, but I think this is part of it where Tatum is the guy. Like Tatum is the he's he's Boston's guy. He's their go-to guy. When they need a bucket, they're gonna look to Jason Tatum. And as great as Jalen Brown is, and I I like Jalen Brown's game. I really really like his game. I think he's underappreciated at times and doesn't get talked about as much as he should. Right? But Jalen Brown could really have it going, which at times especially in the postseason over the past two years, he he has it going in the Celtics when they need a bucket, they still go to Jason Tatum. And it's a, and I think that is the concrete difference where in order for the Celtics to be at their best as a team collectively, Jason Tatum has to be the best player on the floor. Jason Tatum has to be the best player on the team, right? And that's no knock against him. I just think that's how they're structured. They, like, I don't think they're I think their team is complete. I don't think this is no roster construction issue. I think more so I look at Joe Mazzula and some, you know, I I would question some of his late game decision making or lack thereof. But in order for the Celtics to reach their full potential, Jason Tatum has to be their best player. As great as Jalen Brown is. Because Jalen Brown, we've seen this story. He can be the Celtics' best player on any given night, and they may still end up losing. Like, Jalen Brown could be as efficient. Jalen Brown could be more efficient. He could have more points than Jason Tatum. But you ask yourself, look, the Celtics, does... Could they be better as a team? Yes, they could be better as a team because I don't think the Celtics are as good as they could be or compared. Like, you know, when you ask yourself, when Jalen Brown's a team, when, when Jalen Brown is looking like the best Celtic, how's, how does the team look? And when Jalen Brown and when Jason Tatum is the best Celtic, how does the team play? And I would, I would argue that they're at their best. When Tatum is their better player, when they're when Tatum is their best player, that's no knock on Jalen Brown. Same thing goes for the Lakers. We're watching with the Lakers. LeBron could play great because at this point, at this point of LeBron's career, especially when he's playing with a talent and with a player of the caliber of Anthony Davis, LeBron doesn't have to be the best player. And just so happenly, on this particular Laker team. Anthony Davis, in order for this Laker team to have success and, I mean, to win games, quite frankly, Anthony Davis has to be their best player. So LeBron James, just like in game two, 
of the Warriors series, currently, LeBron James had a really good shoot night. He was he started the game the game off really well, shot the ball really well in a postseason where he's been struggling to shoot the basketball. He shot it really well, and he looked like the best Laker on the floor. Guess what the result was? Warriors blowout win by 27 points. Like that's no that's no knock on LeBron, just like it's no knock on Jason on, on Jalen Brown. But it speaks more to what you need from Anthony Davis and what you need from Jason Tatum. Because Jason Tatum, when he's the Celtics' best player on the floor, I would argue they are better as a team. And in this particular Eastern Conference, they're probably unbeatable. And the same probably goes for the Lakers. When AD is clicking on all cylinders, he's getting his 25 to 30 points, and he's being really, really dominant. We got to speak about Anthony Davis and how damn he's been so damn good defensively. He's been so damn good defensively in these playoffs. It is amazing to watch. When he's dominating like that on both ends, the Lakers are really, really hard to beat. You want to know a cool stat about the Lakers and Anthony Davis? When Anthony Davis, the Lakers are undefeated. They have not lost a playoff series when Anthony Davis plays all of the playoff games. They've never lost a series. Granted, they've been in the playoffs two times with Anthony Davis, right? But they've, or three times, I should say. But the Lakers have never lost a playoff series when Anthony Davis plays in all of the games in that series. They've never lost. When Anthony Davis is dominating on both ends of the floor, guess what? The Lakers win. Game one, what did he do? He, he had 30 and, what, 20? 30 and 20 and five blocks? He was absolutely dominant. Lakers won. Game two, LeBron James was the best Laker on the floor. The Lakers get ran off the floor by 27 points. Game three, Anthony Davis plays really well, shows how dominant he is defensively. Blowout win for the Lakers in game three. Kind of simple. Like, same thing in, in the Memphis series. Anthony Davis dominates both ends of the floor, gets his 20 to 25 points. Lakers win. When LeBron James is the best player, uh, Lakers, uh, they're not as good as a team. They're they're not as good as a team. That's the that's what these playoffs have like. That's what these playoffs has kind of shown. Um, you know, I I think I think with the whole Celtics and Philly series, as I, I've kind of hinted to how Boston their late game struggles have kind of hurt them, and not just late game struggles, but ending quarters well. Um. Being able to make these runs um, at the you know at the end of these quarters, uh, being able to the team like the, I, I look at this too, like in playoff series, the team that can't seem to figure out a particular player who may have a huge impact on the series as the series continues and they just have no answer. The team with that particular player usually wins. And with Boston, with Embiid, and the way how Doc Rivers is utilizing Embiid offensively, the Celtics really don't have an answer. They really don't have an answer. 
Saint, eerily similar with the Warriors. Eerily similar with the Warriors with AD. Whether it's how they guard Anthony Davis or whether how they um they combat Anthony Davis' defensive dominance and they try to use it against him and they try to exploit on that. The Warriors mm, kind of haven't had a great job at doing that, right? So I, 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 you know, this this playoff, these playoffs, like I said, unpredictable. Um, in honestly, Philadelphia, I would be, I would be happy for Philadelphia. Um, like I said, I'm not, I'm not rooting for Philadelphia. I'm not rooting. I, I don't, I really don't care, quite frankly. But it would be a good story to see Philadelphia get back to the conference finals, have a chance to get to the finals. It would really, it would, it would be really cool to see, um, Embiid, Jokic, maybe face off in the finals. What if we get that? What if we get an a Denver Nuggets and Philadelphia 76ers final? Because I think that's, I, I think that's really possible at this point. I think that's really possible. Wouldn't that be fitting? Last year, I uh, predicted my my ideal finals matchup was Warriors Celtics. Um, I you can look at you can look back at my Twitter. I think I tweeted that. I think I tweeted. I tweeted that before the playoffs started last year, and I I was basically like my ideal finals matchup would be the Celtics, really good defense versus the Warriors explosive offense that was like that was my ideal finals matchup last year end up being the finals matchup and i'm just wondering now with you know the nuggets they're on the brink of of um eliminating the suns they're up three games to two could we possibly same thing with the sixers and celtics though and these series are far from over but just looking ahead, could we possibly get a Nuggets Sixers finals? I will also say, looking at you know, looking at all of the hype surrounding certain players coming into certain series, like before the Warriors and Lakers series, leading or I should say, leading up to the Lakers and Warriors series, everybody was like, "Oh, we get LeBron versus Curry." We get LeBron versus Steph, and it's like, I mean, yeah, we do, but LeBron is a shell of himself, uh, and it, it and it's okay, totally, but he's a shell of himself. Steph, clearly, any given night, is the best player on the floor. Like, this isn't what we want. Like, this shouldn't be a LeBron versus Steph kind of thing this should be lakers versus warriors where literally everybody else other than lebron and steph have kind of determined the outcome of these games like everybody else same thing with the nuggets and phoenix series everybody's talking about Jokic. like you know game four was absolutely awesome to watch the shot making the shot making ability was just on full display everybody talking about devin booker everybody talking about kevin durant Everybody talking about Nikola Jokic, right? And rightfully so. Those guys are great. But if you look at that, if you've been following that Nuggets and Suns series, the key, the stink, 
stat that I will point to is the bench production. Whatever team gets the most bench production in each and every game, that team has won. Literally. Whatever whatever team gets the most bench production in that series, that team has won. Whether it was game one and two with the Nuggets or games three and four with the Suns and then game five again with the Nuggets. So it's not like, like I said, two and it my, my, it, this kind of like puts to shame my theory, but that's the theory, right? A two, one, one, but you get the gist. We, we focus, I think so much in the postseason, we focus so much on the stars and rightfully so. I think, I think at a certain point, like the stars kind of count, like they cancel out each other, like Booker Durant and, you know, Nikola Jokic and like they cancel out each other. Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, they they cancel out each other, right? At that point, it just becomes down, it comes down to the others, to the others, to the guys like Michael Porter Jr. and the Bruce Browns and the TJ, like, it, it comes down to those guys, De- DeAndre Aiden. It comes those those guys. You know, I think I, I think that's where we kind of get a little tunnel vision with some of these like uh, these trendy topics leading up to playoff series. Which star player is going to have the best series, and who's the best player in this series? And we can talk about that, like for sure. But like, if we really want to have like a, a, a really uh, deep conversation and analyze both of these teams in the matchups we should just look deeper than the two best players right we we should look at coaching right you know um i think a lot of i think harping back to the and i'm just bouncing all over the place but harping back to the sixers and celtic series i think a lot of people downplayed or we may have just like I think we downplayed the impact that MA Udoka had on that Celtics team. Because it like and it's not it's nothing against Joe Missoula, but this is a huge like this is a a tall tax to ask Joe Missoula to take over a Celtics team coming into the season that had just came off a finals run. Ended the regular season really well. Carry that same momentum into this season and then make another finals run and then possibly win a championship. That was a tall task. That's a tall task for a first-year head coach. That's a tall task for any coach, but that's a tall task for a first-year head coach especially. And not questioning Joe Mazzula's basketball knowledge or so forth, but I think at times – his inexperience uh, has kind of shown, has has definitely kind of shown. And I think I had someone ask me, um, I had someone, I had someone tell me or, or ask me or suggest to me that, you know, they had question marks about the Celtics and it wasn't necessarily about the roster, but it was about Joe Mazzula. Cause he was, I think I, I forgot who asked me. Wow, I'm blanking. But somebody had made a suggestion to me. It was like, in the second round, what coach do you just have the least amount of faith in? 
And I actually thought about it. I'm like, well, Steve Kerr, right? Okay. There's an argument to make to be made for Darvin Ham. Like, you know, Darvin Ham's a first year head coach. Maybe, maybe you go with Darvin Ham, but even past Darvin Ham, you think, okay, Mike Malone, okay, Monty Williams, okay, uh, Eric Spostra, uh, Tom Thibodeau, Doc Rivers, oh, Joe Missoula. Joe Missoula. There's two first year head coaches in the second round of playoffs Darvin Ham, Joe Missoula. What's the difference between Darvin Ham and Joe Missoula? Don't really know. Maybe it helps that Darvin Ham has LeBron James and he's been in these type of situations and so forth. Maybe that helps. Maybe that helps. Maybe that helps. Celtics, this Celtics team has been at the, they have been at the peak precipice for such a long time and knocking at the door. Um, You would just think that they would have a little bit more wisdom in these certain situations. We'll see how they respond in game six. But uh interesting. This is this pl- these playoffs have been fairly, fairly interesting, I would say the least. So um I'm I'm gonna wrap this bad boy up. Uh like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna make I'm gonna dedicate um a separate episode um for the NFL schedule release or prior to the NFL schedule release. So that'll drop tomorrow. But uh, as I always tell you guys, I we gonna uh, I probably do an instant reaction, um, p- depending on the outcome of some of these games. Uh, if if some eliminations happen, I probably do some reactions, some instant reactions afterwards. Um, so hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, be on the lookout for my breakdown of the NFL schedule release and so forth. Be on the lookout for that. I will drop that right after this episode so thank you guys greatly appreciate always remember two choices one decision peace deuces i'm gone